Hello and welcome to the B Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Um, this is the third installment of the Pull List, our weekly comic book review show. Um, this will have reviews for the second week of 2021. Um, let us begin with Amazing Spider-Man 57, written by Nick Spencer, art by Mark Bagley. I'm going to keep this one fairly short because this is the third week in a row I've actually reviewed this book, and I feel like I'm just going to be saying the same thing over and over and over again. Um, So this installment, generally, most of this is um, a conversation between Peter Parker and Norman Osborn uh, regarding um, kind of the after effects of that Last Remain storyline that has been going on for the last couple of months. Feels like forever. I think we're up to installment number 14 here. Um, so this, you know, it's a it's a good dialogue book, really. I mean, most of the time, the dialogue between uh, Harry and Norman's, or Harry, Peter and Norman is pretty solid anyway. Um, but this looks like they might actually be making the decision to kind of back away from a lot of the Osborne stuff for a while as Peter basically tells Norman and his entire crazy family to go to hell um, after the events of this last story that's been going on. Um, So, you know, I think it'd be nice to see uh, Spencer do something with this book that, I mean, and there were periods leading up to this that didn't have all that much to do with the whole kindred thing. He would just kind of show up every once in a while in the background or in like a panel or two, but be nice to see this actually put to bed for a while. Um, and it's still even within that implies that the, the whole kindred thing is not over with yet, but you know, hopefully, you know, Spencer's at issue 57 in his run at this point, maybe if he's going to go for a while still, um, it wouldn't actually have anything to do with that until I would assume, I mean, the end of his run, this will come back somehow because he's kind of, he's kind of staked his entire run on this. So I would expect more of it um, at some point in the future, but hopefully we'll get a nice little stretch without it. Um, So, I mean, I'll say what I always say. If you're going to read this anyway, go ahead. But I would, and some, and some of the dialogue was fine, but I'm just tapped out on all the, all the Osborne family stuff for the foreseeable future. So hopefully it'll kind of go away for a bit. Um, Okay, so there's that one. Um, Next up, we have Immortal Hulk number 42, written by Al Ewing. Uh, There are like five or six artists on this, and I didn't really uh, feel like going through all the names for those people. Um, Basically, the way that works is there are a couple of different uh, sequences through the issue, and each one is drawn by somebody different. Um, it was kind of nice to see the comparison between some of those. Um, so basically what this one is, and this is dead right in the middle of what Al Ewing's in the middle of doing right now, the immortal Hulk, if you're not reading it is basically kind of like, and I'm sure this has been done before. I haven't read a ton of Hulk in the last few years. I kind of started with, um, the, I believe it was indestructible Hulk by Mark Wade where he was working for shield for it. I think it went something like 40 issues and uh, I've pretty much been reading every Hulk series since that. But um, this one 
basically treats the Hulk like a like a monster. It's like a horror comic almost, um, where he only where he just sort of automatically turns into the into the Hulk at night, uh, no matter what else is happening, and um, he basically it leans into the fact that he basically can't die. Like if Banner, like he's Bruce Banner during the day. And if Banner dies, then he'll sit there dead until the sun goes down and suddenly he turns into Hulk again. Um, so it's an interesting concept. This, however, and it's this is a fine issue if you've been reading it. This is kind of a tough one to come in on the middle of because it's kind of in the middle of, I think what you're seeing is you're heading towards Al Ewing's endgame on this because it's supposed to, this volume's supposed to end at 50, I believe. So he's probably setting up whatever his last stretch on the book is going to be. It's essentially, you know, I don't think the Hulk even shows up in this. I mean, it's mostly just positioning, like um, the leader is trying to take over the mind of the Hulk. And there's a bunch of stuff on like a mindscape, which is kind of neat. And then there's separate stuff with uh, there's a version of, Alpha Flight called Gamma Flight that's basically trying to take down the Hulk and they, you know, I think they object to uh, the methods used in their last attempt to capture the Hulk and they basically all all tell uh, Henry Peter Gyrick, who's the head of the head of this operation, who's generally written as a complete asshole and always has been as like government stooge type guy. Um, they basically tell the members of this gamma flight team basically tell him to go pound sand and they're going to go do their own thing for a while. Uh, the members of this team, in case you're wondering, are, uh, Puck from the original alpha flight, Doc Sampson, uh, Titania and the absorbing man. So they basically all tell Gyrick, you know what? We don't really want to deal with you anymore. Go away. And then there's this other thing with a, reporter named Jackie McGee who had been following the Hulk around for pretty much this entire run. And I think that's a nod to the seventies TV show as there was a reporter named Jack McGee who followed Bill Bixby around the whole time. Um, but I'm not, you know, I was like, I think that show ended before I was even born. So I'm not terribly familiar. I've seen the, uh, NBC TV movies where they attempted to do like Thor and daredevil, also um and those were you know at the time when you're 10 those are awesome but now they kind of look kind of stupid but so i mean this is this is a fine book it's just moving chess pieces around and i think this will benefit people more if you're already reading this than it would to try to come in right now and start it it would be like what um so credit to those folks and the art's pretty so there's that um, next up we have King and Black Thunderbolts number one, which is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Juan Ferreira. This is obviously a King and Black tie-in, um, and also an attempt to revive the entire Thunderbolts thing, which kind of goes off and on over the years at Marvel. It's an interesting concept. I mean, it's basically their attempt to do a uh it's morphed into their attempt to do a suicide squad type book really uh the initial the initial idea was way more interesting where it was during uh 
Heroes Reborn, I believe, or shortly after that, where, or shortly after Onslaught, where most of the major heroes are missing uh, because they're in the Heroes Reborn universe, but no one knows that. And then, um, so a bunch of villains pretend to be heroes to try to gain the public trust, and then eventually they're going to turn on them. They're, so that never happens because most of them get, you know, most of them develop consciences and decide not to do it. But anyway, they've done several attempts at this over the years. Like there was one during all the Dark Reign stuff involving, again, Norman Osborn as the head of the Thunderbolts. I think it was after Secret Invasion. They basically made him the head of the... They or It was after uh, Civil War, maybe. They made him head of the head of the Thunderbolts for a while. And then they also did one with uh, Luke Cage as, as the head, um, which was also kind of interesting. That one was a little shorter. Like I felt like that started to get good, and then they got rid of it. Um, so this is this is a three issue miniseries tied into the whole King and Black thing, where basically all they go and do is fight symbiotes for fifteen pages or whatever. Um, so there's that, and uh, let's get into the the setup for this a little bit. This team is run by Wilson Fisk, who at the time is who is currently mayor of New York. He's obviously the kingpin, as we as we all know. Um, this team is comprised of the Taskmaster, Mister Fear, the Rhino, uh, Batroc, and some Captain Marvel character called Star, who I've never seen in my life. Um, so fine little team. I mean, certainly not the you know. Usually they tend to use bigger names for for this book a lot of times uh the one thing i was confused by or not confused but it made it sort of harder to follow it is that fisk considers them obviously to be you know government employees because they're on the city payroll or whatever um which you know they basically they basically imply every time they do the thunderbolts that it somehow has to do with the government so that's not new but he insists that they do everything out of costume. So I had trouble following who was who for a lot of it because out of costume, Taskmaster and Mr. Fear and Batrock all look the same. So I was just like, I don't, who, who is this? And they don't use names or anything. They just kind of yell at each other a lot. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, and it has the same tropes that a lot of the King and Black stuff has had where they just run around mindlessly fighting like symbiote soldiers and whatever. And there's no like, there's no like central bad guy or anything. They just walk around mindlessly killing symbiotes and such. Um, so, I mean, this was fine. I just, and I wonder if maybe if this sells well enough, they're going to try to backdoor this into another Thunderbolts book, which would be fine again. And I, I'll probably at least take a look at that. I tend to buy most of the Thunderbolt stuff. Um, but I think you need a stronger team than this. Like, there's no... There was no character in this where I'm like, I have to... I absolutely have to keep reading this because I want to see character X in this group. Um, so maybe the if they do make a regular series out of it after the event, maybe the lineup will change a little bit. I don't know. Um, so it was... It's there. If you're a fan of the Thunderbolts stuff, I'd say go ahead and take a look at it and see what you think. But um, it's not. It didn't really do enough to sell me on this version of it becoming a regular series. If that's what they decide to do. Um, next up, we have 
Uh, Marauders 17, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lolly. Guy must be Italian or Spanish or something. I uh, hope I didn't kill that name too badly. Um, this is the latest installment of what is becoming my favorite X-Book, uh, just because of the the wide range of things it tends to hit on. Um, it could use a little more focus sometimes, but a lot of times I just kind of let let that go because it's trying to... I think this one more than any of the rest of them is trying to show the worldwide impact that, that the... Uh, the current X situation has on, on basically everywhere. Um, so this one's pretty simple. It's basically split between two things. One is with one in, in which Kate pride. I think she goes by Kate now is tr- takes the Marauders to Madripoor to uh, bust up some corrupt landlords. I think it was like just people that are some evil landlord guy wants to take the low rent district of Madripoor and basically nuke it. Um, and, and like gentrify it and all that. And she comes in and she's just like, uh, well, you do that and you're going to piss off the mutant population. We're going to come kick your ass. So, and you know, it's not, it's not high action or anything, but it's just interesting to me how much this series and the last couple series she's been in have changed this Kitty Pride character this much where she's like, she used to be when I was a kid and, and a lot of the earlier comics that I've read from like the 60s and 70s she's like this really idealistic teenager which is kind of I think what they were designing that character to be initially and now she's like this super jaded kind of a dick you know like I don't you know it's just very much like oh whatever just do what I'm telling you or I'm gonna kill you you know and I could never I could never have pictured Kitty Pride doing that like 10 or 15 years ago, that would have been like, wouldn't you just send Wolverine to do this? Um, and then the other, the other plot in here is that um, there's some sort of like, they have some sort of like gladiatorial combat thing on Krakoa. And it's not like super, they're not like imprisoning people or anything, but I think it's just kind of like a prove your, prove your worth sort of thing. And Callisto, who hasn't really shown up in a lot of these books for years, pretty much since House of M, where she lost her powers, and I think that's been going on ever since, she convinces Storm to fight her in the in the gladiatorial pit thing. Um, and there's a lot of history between these two for when Callisto was head of the Morlocks and whatnot, and I believe Storm challenged her for control of the Morlocks at one point um, in the 80s somewhere, um, which is where a lot of their bad blood comes from so uh and i believe that Callisto, if i read this correctly some of it was a little confusing so i'm not entirely sure that i did but if i read this correctly it seems that Callisto wants storm to kill her because she's depowered and if i guess if she goes through the resurrection stuff that they do on krakoa at this point that she will somehow get her powers back um and i I believe that's what happens, but some of the dialogue around that was kind of unclear, and I'm not entirely sure that took place. I might have to read it again, or I might have to see in the next couple issues if they reference it again, and it becomes clearer what it was they were going for there. Um, so, yeah, this was enjoyable. As I said, I think this is becoming my favorite book of the X-Line, um, just because it's you know it doesn't do the same old shit that 
a lot of these do. I mean, and some of it is basically a lot of the, as much as I'm enjoying what Hickman's doing with this line, I'm starting to realize as it goes on that a lot of the books are basically just doing the same kind of thing they always would just with different lineups and maybe to show that the whole hero mutant heroes and villains thing is kind of not a thing anymore. They're putting villains on these teams just to show that. And that's, that's fine too, but um, I'll, I'll really be interested to see, and I've been saying this for a while, like whenever this whole line gets to whatever its endpoint is, I think it'll be interesting to go back and read it as a whole. And, you know, especially with Hickman's propensity to seed stuff pretty far out, you know, I think it'll be interesting to go back to like X-Men number eight when it gets up to like 40, 50, whatever it's going to get to. And you realize there's some little thing that was put in there that you had no idea was going to end up being the big thing at the end later on. Um, So, yes, I I admit to being a completist and I'm reading this entire line just just because I'm intrigued by the basic concept. And uh, some of it's better than others. And this is one of this. This book is one of the standouts for me in that respect. And our final book for this week I know my reading has been kind of light for the last few weeks just because there's no, I'm not reading any DC stuff with all the future state junk. Um, so the last book I read this week was sword number two written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Skeety. I'm going to assume that's correct pronunciation. Uh, anyone who wants to can correct me on that, I guess. So this is, um, they basically, put a bunch of X-Men in space. Uh, it's largely led by uh, Cable and Magneto. Uh, Cable is the younger Cable from the uh, extermination event where he came back in time as like a teenager to, and it was basically how they put an end to the whole, the original five are back in the, pre- are in the present and stuff. He basically sent them back to their original time frame. Um, this is also a King and Black tie-in, and we'll get into why I think that kind of screws it up. Um, this is obviously, as I said, the second issue of this book, and it's already sort of dropping into tie-ins. And I sort of, this, as much as I enjoy this concept and I enjoy some of the characters involved in this, uh, the fact that they went to an event tie-in this quickly, like, really threw me off, like... After the first issue, I I barely have a grasp on... Because, I mean, they went deep on some characters here. Like, Fabian Cortez is in here, who I haven't seen since the 90s, really. Um, and he's a mutant whose power it is to amplify other mutants' powers, which is kind of neat. Um, but, honestly, I haven't seen anything involving this character since probably the mid to late 1990s. And I almost had to be reminded who he was. Um and then Cable and Magneto are in here. I don't think Cable actually shows up in this installment at all. Maybe he's doing something else in his own book that precludes being here. Um, and then there are some other characters, like someone called Frenzy, who I think was also pretty big in the X-Books in the 90s, too. Um, my problem with this is the book itself is barely established as to what this version of Sword is going to be, and you're already diving into, like, Let's go fight symbiotes. Yay. Um, And it just doesn't... I mean, I'm reading it still trying to figure out, okay, who is this person and what are they doing here? And why is this happening? And it just dives into the 
the standard thing that anything involved with Kane Black has become at this point, which, and that's not crapping on the larger event. That's just, I think the tie-ins are almost becoming too simple. Like we can just, let's just do this again with these characters instead of the regular characters and people like this. But, you know, I could have done with a couple more issues like setting up the relationships and what is the purpose of this, this group? Like, what are they trying to do? and all that before you go into the first, like this is their first big threat they have to deal with. And it just becomes some mindless punching with characters that I, I guess some of them are interesting, but there hasn't really been enough attention paid to setting it up enough for me to really care. Um, so I'm going to obviously going to continue reading this sword book. I do have an affinity for um, space-based stuff or just, through the massive amount of science fiction I've read over the years, I kind of lean that way anyway. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I'm curious, maybe once it finally moves past all the King of Black stuff, what what it might actually do after that. Um, and that is our last issue read for the second week of 2021. Let me consult my list for next week, and we'll see what what it is we'll be dealing with there. Um, this is my pull list for week three, 2021 Avengers 41 cable seven iron fist, heart of the dragon. Number one, apparently some sort of uh, mini series uh, with iron fist. I believe it's five or six issues. I'm kind of surprised they're releasing something like this right now because um, we know a lot of their, a lot of the the decisions revolving around what they decide to publish are sort of dictated by the TV and films and whatnot. And I would think they would be putting most of that energy towards if you're going to do anything with one of these martial arts characters right now, I would think most of their energy would be going towards Shang-Chi. Although I do like Iron Fist when written correctly, so or correctly, uh, I guess written well. I, not like I get to mandate how Iron Fist is written. Um... King and Black number three and X Force 16. So that could also be subject to change depending on if other stuff gets released that I'm not aware of right now. But those are the books I'm planning on hitting next week. Um, sorry, this one was a little scattered today. I was trying to get this done before um, we have some things going on in my house tonight, today, that I was trying to get this done before those things happen, but I think I just made it in under the wire. So, uh, hope everyone enjoys listening to this and keep reading comics folks. Cause I will keep reviewing them. So happy reading.